I want to uh, go ahead and get into the message uh, today. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to, it's kind of one of those obscure, hidden scriptures in the Bible. You might not have ever heard or read of this scripture before. It's, it's found in the Gospel of John. It's John 3.16. John 3.16. And uh, I'm going to read in the New King James. It says, For God so loved, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to talk to you about the enormity yet the simplicity of this powerful, powerful Scripture and, and hopefully unpack some fresh context around it for you. And I've entitled this message 25 Words or Less. 25 Words or less. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for People's Church. God, thank you for all the great things that you're doing here. Lord, just it, by the Holy Spirit, just give us a glimpse into what this scripture really means and what it does for us, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Now, just to get, kind of give you a little bit uh, of background about myself, yes, I pastor Celebration Church, kind of our hub campus is there in Jacksonville, Florida, but I did not grow up in Jacksonville. I actually grew up in South Louisiana. I was born in New Orleans. I grew up in Baton Rouge, and yes, I went to LSU. <laughs> was that a boo or like the only Tiger fan in the service? Like, I'm with you, like... I did. I grew up in, in Baton Rouge, and I went to LSU. Now, I know, I know that, you know, you guys are the Boomer Sooners and Cowboys and big OU and OSU fans and all that, and I, I got you. Of course, I'm from the SEC, and I'm an LSU fan, but I do want to remember, look, all of we do. Oklahoma fans, OSU fans, and LSU fans, we, we do have a, a, a common alliance, though. It kind of goes, you know that statement, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Come on, we all hate Alabama. Can anybody holler back, right? <laughs> OSU should have been in the national championship game with LSU in 2011. And thank God Oklahoma beat Bama in the Sugar Bowl last year. Oh, yeah, give the Sooners a hand. <laughs> but, uh, but so I, I, I did go to LSU, and I didn't really come from a God-centered home. So when I went to LSU... You know, I kind of got crazy, got in, got in a lot of trouble. And one of the things I did, right, I made a couple of really good decisions, though, when I went to LSU. The first good decision I made was I joined the wildest fraternity on campus. Um, anybody ever see that movie, Animal House? You know what I'm saying? So here, here's what we do in church, right? We're like, hey, anybody seen the movie Animal House? It's kind of like we do a half hand raise and like just like, well, you know, I saw the edited version, so it's... Well, anyway, if you saw that movie, Animal House, that was like my fraternity. And then I compounded that good decision with another really good decision. I chose to work at the wildest bar on campus. Yes. And I was a bouncer. I was actually a bouncer at this bar. What y'all laughing at? Let me tell you something. I might not look it now, but back in the day I had it going on. You hear me? I got pictures. In fact, it, it, our, our, one of the guys traveling with me today is on our executive staff. He actually planted Celebration Church with me over 15 years ago. And he was one of the other bouncers at the bar at LSU. Come on, Pastor Chris Brooks, stand up. 
Stand up right now. See, I don't know if, and I, I know, know the other campuses might not be able to see, but you can see him here in the room. Look, that's what I used to look like. But somehow Chris kept all of his stuff and mine went bagging and sagging. And... Come on, I'm not ashamed. All right. But you know, it's, you know so I, I, I was kind of in that vibe there, the party vibe and working at the bar. And I, I did though, I had big goals, dreams, you might say aspirations. Because I wanted to go from being a, a bouncer to being a bartender. Yes. That was my life's goal. Another movie you might, uh, it's on way back when. Remember that movie Cocktail with Tom Cruise? Remember the bottles and the ladies' man and all that? That was me. That was my dream. I wanted to go from a bouncer to a bartender, do all that kind of stuff. I'm so glad God had a different dream for me. And right in the middle of all that craziness, listen, I had an aunt that was praying for me. And right in the middle of all that craziness, I bowed my knee and I surrendered my life to Jesus and God's plan. And I can tell you that, yeah. And I want to... I want to encourage you, listen, keep praying for those family members. Keep praying for those loved ones. Keep praying for those kids no matter what it looks like on the outside. I'm telling you, God's doing something on the inside. And you keep praying and praising, and they're going to they're come to Jesus. And so, you know, that was kind of, I got saved right in the middle of my college experience. And, um, you know, I, I did okay in school. I really wasn't a, you know, a school guy. I felt like the... Classrooms are limited me, man, trying to keep me down. You know what I'm saying? Now, I, I want to congratulate all of our graduates and everything. Obviously, stay in school, kids. You kids stay in school. Make school a priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I was, you know, back then, I was kind of on that, you know, I kind of took college. I was kind of on that six-year plan. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else there? You know, come on, holla, six years. You know, you're just going to kind of, you know. Go at your own pace. <laughs> and I remember after I surrendered my life to Jesus, man, I was so uh, fired up for God. I mean, Chris got saved out of the bar. We had this whole of guys that kind of worked in the clubs and bars and fraternities. We all got saved, and I was so fired up. And I remember reading in the Bible, you know, about Jesus coming back. Like, man, we got to be ready. He could come back any day. And I thought, man, I need to postpone all of the hard classes until my last semester of college, just in case Jesus comes back. You know what I'm saying? Especially one class I did not want to take that I had to have for my major was, uh, was algebra. So I'm like, man, maybe Jesus will come back. I won't have to take algebra. This will be awesome. And, you know, of course, Jesus didn't come back. However, at my, at the, at, for my very last semester, LSU actually changed its policy on what was required for my major. And they said, hey... Instead of algebra, you can take a new course that we're offering called consumer math. There's three mailboxes on the street. The mailman delivers four pieces of mail to each mailbox. How many pieces of mail? Did he deliver? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I ace that class. I ace that class, baby. 
And one of the other things that always frustrated me in school is, you know, the, like, like history or English or science, you, you'd have these tests, and they would, like, bring something up real complex and, and, and big, and they'd want to answer you to answer it in 25 words or less. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You get the, like, it'd be like, describe the global impact on the social, political, and economical climate that the Allies' victory in World War II had in 25 words or less. I'd be like, man, how in the world am I going to do that? Especially in science, you know. Explain Albert Einstein's theory on time and space as it relates to the intergalactic vortex of the laws of physics. E equals MC squared. Explain that in 25 words or less. That used to so frustrate me, man. But now I understand what our colleges and universities were, what they were preparing us for. Twitter. Am I right? They knew that social media was coming. I mean, finally, all of our hard work is going to pay off. All those 25 words. Why? Because Twitter, how many of you tweet? That's some Twitters. Tweeters in the house. Come on, raise your hands. Where are you at? Where are you at? Come on, all of our locations. Raise those hands. You, you tweet. Now, listen. If you know t t Twitter, here's the deal. You got to say something, but you got to say it in 140 characters. Do you know what the average number of words in 140 characters is? 25 words. 25 words. And so that's what Twitter's designed. You know, you want to say something, you got to say it in 25 words. Now, listen, I hope that you follow me on Twitter. You definitely want to follow your pastor, Pastor Herbert and his wife on Twitter. But understand, if you want me to follow you back, if you want us to follow you back, you're going to have to learn some Twitter etiquette. I remember this relative that we have, this girl, she's like, Stovall, follow me back on Twitter. I was like, all right. And I started getting these tweets. It's like, I'm on my way to Starbucks. I just pulled into Starbucks. I'm now in line at Starbucks. I'm fifth in line in Starbucks. I'm fourth in line. I'm third in line. Second, I'm first. I'm, I, I got my Starbucks. I'm unfollowing your behind. We do not have to know every detail of your life. That's not what Twitter was designed for. Actually, what Twitter was designed for is that you, 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 you've got to take uh, some, you know, something large, something of importance, or something that means something, hopefully, but you've got to condense that thing down to 140 characters or 25 words or less. Now, the amazing thing about this and about that concept is the scripture that we just read in John 3, 16. Did you know in every translation, it is 25 words or less. In the King James, it is exactly 140 characters. It is exactly 25 words. See, social media can't outsmart God. God knew this thing was coming millions of years ago. And when John 3, 16, listen, John 3, 16 is the greatest tweet that's ever been tweeted. I believe if God could send one tweet to all mankind, it would be John 3, 16. 
exactly 25 words, exactly 140 characters, and God just didn't sum up, you know, some kind of science or historical deal. No, He summed up, Jesus sums up God's redemptive plan from eternity past to eternity future, revealing the Father's heart, the Father's plan, the Father's will, in the totality of God's redemptive purpose for all mankind in 25 words. Wow. The enormity, yet the simplicity of that scripture. You know, and many of us were familiar with John 3.16, but it's kind of like because sometimes we get so familiar something, we can kind of forget the power, or the, you know, it can kind of lose its zest to us. And, of course, John 3.16, we'll see that in sporting events. You know, you see the people hold up the signs with John 3.16. I was studying, like, okay, when did that, start to become popular like when did people start holding up the john 316 signs at sporting events and it actually started back in the 70s and 80s there was this guy he was called the rainbow man and he would go to these sporting events and he wore this crazy rainbow colored afro wig and he had a big sign that said john 316 God loves you. And he'd somehow get in the Super Bowl and the baseball championships and the basketball championships and big college games and all that. And he'd always, the Rainbow Man would always be there holding up that John 316 sign, man. But I mean, the Rainbow Man, he kind of looked crazy. You know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, later they found out like he was crazy. Like, not crazy like your crazy aunt. No, like, like certifiably crazy. Crazy, And he actually got in the situation. He took some people hostage at gunpoint. He's currently serving two life sentences in prison. This was the guy that started the whole John 3.16 thing. And I started thinking about this. Man, if there was ever one scripture in the Bible that the enemy would love to discredit, it would be John 3.16. So enormous. So powerful. Yet so simple. That's why I'm so glad that John 3.16 finally got cool again and trendy again with Tim Tebow. Now, listen, no matter where you stand on rooting for Tim's team, listen, I understand. I'm an LSU fan. I pastor a church that is one hour from Gainesville, home of the Florida Gators. Almost all of our church are Florida Gator fans. I understand. I mean, LSU could not tackle Tim for four years. And I would constantly be rooting against him, you know, sack him, get him, stop him. But the problem is with like when you're rooting against Tim, you kind of feel like you're rooting against God. You know what I'm saying? He's so strong in his faith. And you know, remember he had the eye blacks, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Well, last year Tim spoke at our church and it was right before he we went on the stage, and he was bending over. There was a couch there. He was picking up his notes. And I looked, and I saw him. He's kind of, man, he was, his back was to me. He was bending over off balance. And I thought, this is my chance. <laughs> and just a flash of all those times LSU could never sacked him. It was like an anger flash. It was like, and I just ran as fast as, and I just tackled him blindside. And got him on that couch. He said, looked up at me and he says, what are you doing? I said, listen to me, man. I watched you for four years and LSU couldn't tackle you one time. I just had to do this. <laughs> and you're a Christian and all that, so you got to forgive me. 
when Jim was speaking to our church, he, he shared some fascinating things that I had never heard before since I, I researched it. And it was so, so powerful. But he shared the story. Some of you might have heard of this, but on January 8, 2009, uh, Florida was playing Alabama. I'm sorry, the Red School. That other school, you know, the Tide something. The Tide. The laundry detergent team. But anyway, that entire season, um, Tim, it was, it, this was for the, the national championship. And that entire season, Tim had been wearing Philippians 4.13 under his eye blacks, okay? And now he's telling the story. And you got to understand Coach Urban Meyer, who coach, coached the Gators back at that time. He, Tim was saying, man, Coach Urban Meyer, he doesn't like change. You stick to the system. It's very rigid, you know. It's just, it's very methodical. There's no surprises. There's no change or anything like that. Well, the night before the national championship game, Tim was in prayer, and he felt like God was speaking to him, don't wear Philippians 4.13 on your eye blacks like you've been doing all season. Wear John 3.16. So he thought, well, I better like let Coach Myers know about this. So he goes, he goes into co Coach Meyer, and he's like, Coach, I just want to let you know for tomorrow for the championship game, I'm not going to have Philippians 4.13 on my eye black, so I'm going to have John 3.16. He said, Coach Urban Meyer looked at him and was like, What? Are you serious? You listen to me, Tim. It's Philippians 4.13 that got us to this championship game, and it's Philippians 4.13 that's going to take us to the top. Tim was like, Coach, John 3.16 is a really good scripture too. I'm telling you, man, God's with us. I really feel like I, I need to wear John 3.16 on my eye blacks tomorrow. So Coach Meyer was like, all right, go ahead. You ready for this? Florida wins the game. That night, John 3.16 was Google, Google searched over 90 million times. 90 million times. See, it might be familiar to us, but I'm telling you, when people can watch a football game and a guy has John 3.16 on his eye blacks and there's over 90 million searches on Google, I'm telling you the world is starving for John 3.16. And I believe this. I believe if the world wants to understand what John 3.16 is, they ought to be able to look at the church and see John 3.16 and experience John 3.16. We're to be a John 3.16 church. And at People's Church, man, you guys ought to thank God that you're in a John 3.16 church that demonstrates the love of God through your acceptance, through your diversity. Come on, you're a church that looks like heaven. People need to see that. People need to feel that. And you guys are doing it. And I just want to encourage you to continue to do it. And Tim didn't stop there. He shared a few more things about his, what God did with that John 3.16. If you fast forward three years, okay, three years from that championship game. Okay, Tim's now playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Three. It's the exact same date. It's January 8th, 2012, exactly three years later. Three, the number of resurrection. Jesus rose on the third day. God's going to bring something back here. Tim plays his best game ever of his pro career for the Denver Broncos when he leads them to a playoff win over the Pittsburgh Steelers by completing an 80-yard pass in overtime. Some of you probably saw the game, but there were some things about that game that you might not have heard of. 
Okay, you ready for this? That night, Tim threw for a season high 316 yards. Tim also set an NFL record for yards per completion at 31.6. Everyone, the commentators, agreed that the play of the game where the whole game turned was on a Steelers interception that was thrown on third and 16. The Steelers finished the game time with a possession of 31 minutes and 6 seconds, and the overnight ratings for that game were 31.6. And the best of all, that night on Google search, John 3.16 was Google searched over 94 million, million, 94 million times. If that is not a modern day sign and wonder of God trying to send a message to the world, I don't know what is. And if a football player... So here's the thing. Yes, we might be familiar with John 3.16, but the world's starving for it. Nearly 200 million people. Google search. John 3.16. What does John 3.16 mean? How can I understand John 3.16? So above all, church, what, what, you know, what next? What now? Listen, we need to remember that above all things, we're always to demonstrate the love of God. Be a John 3.16 follower of Christ and be a John 3.16 church. So for my last few minutes here that I'm speaking, I just want to unpack that scripture, hopefully kind of in a fresh way and give you some context around it. Look at the... Back to the scripture, John 3, 16. Look at the first part. It says, for God so loved the world. Everybody say, so loved. He's so loved, and then it says the world. Now, that word world there, it doesn't mean like world in the corporate sense. It actually means the plurality of individuals. So it's like God speaking individually. It's like, for God so loved, fill in the blank. You could fill in your name. For God so loved you. And it doesn't just say he loved you. It says he so loved you. A lot of times we kind of overlook that word so there. I was studying. I was like, what does so love mean? Like God loves us a lot. You know, loves us a whole bunch. Great love. Like what does that mean? It was real interesting. The way that that, is, that word is used in the Greek language, it's kind of like this neutral word. And it actually said the only way you can understand what so means, so so's describing love, the only way you can understand what so means is you have to understand the word that precedes it. Because that word so takes on the character and the magnitude of the word that precedes it. Well, the word that precedes so is what? God. The statement God is making is God's love for you. It can't be described or compared to anything in human terms. If you want to try to get a glimpse of how much God loves you, the only thing God could compare that to is God himself. You want to know how great God's love is for you? Well, how great is God himself? How infinite is God's love for you? Well, how infinite is God himself? How vast is God's love for you? Well, how, how vast is God himself? When God wanted to describe how much he loves you, there was no word he could give except a word that would take on the very magnitude and character of his own very self and nature. The one thing that stacks up with God himself is God's love for you. For God is love. Now, I don't know about you, but that is some kind of awesome love. Come on, can you give me my hand for that? 
He so loves you. And as human beings, this is why it's like, it's so hard for us to like connect with this because in human relationships, relationships for the most part, like there's always an agenda. You know, like, okay, you know, you do something for me, I do something for you. And that's what people think about God. Okay, God wants me to serve him. So like, what's the catch? What's the, what's the agenda here? I want to let you know God has no, there's no agenda. Why does he love you? He just, he, he just loves you for you. The Bible says that he's made all things for his good pleasure. If you didn't give God pleasure, he wouldn't have created you. There's no catch with God. It's not, you know, all of our relationships, you do something for me, I do something for you. You work for an employer, then, you know, he'll give you a paycheck. You perform this way, then you can be pr promoted. If you don't perform, you know, then you, you know, you're going to be demoted or, or whatever that is. There's, all, there's always some kind of agenda. And most of us, watch, I would say near all of us, all of us, because humanly it's impossible. You've never had a relationship where someone truly loves you just for you with no agenda. No agenda. That's God's love for you. It's just for you. The closest thing I can kind of compare this to, and I know some parents can relate to this, is, is sometimes some of the things that we do for our kids. How many dads in here you like to grill? Anybody like to grill maybe next a uh, weekend, Memorial Day weekend, you're going to grill. On Memorial Day weekend, I love to grill. I love to cook. I love to get my smoker out. Man, I'm a, I'm a hunter, you know, so I love doing duck and geese. And I'm from Louisiana, so if alligator's around, that's always good. Y'all know the secret to Cajun food, right? The secret to Cajun food is this. Whatever crawls out of the ditch, you hit it over the head with a bat. You throw it in a pot. You put some hot, spicy stuff on it, and you give it some kind of name like Andouille Le Bon Ton Roulé. <laughs> Sell it for $40 a plate, and there you go. But I love to cook, and, and what, one of the things I love to do, especially in the fall and the winter when it gets, when it gets cooler, is I love cooking for my, friend, uh, for my kids. And when my kids have their friends over, they always want me to cook, and I'll build a fire for them. We have a little fire pit outside. And, I mean, sometimes it'll, you know, I'll start hours before their friends get over, and especially my youngest daughter, little Annabelle. And all her little friends will get over, and I would have been grilling and cooking for hours. And I love, you know, I'll set the food out, and then I'll just kind of, you know, kind of walk away. And, and I love just kind of hanging back and just listening to them while they're eating the food. Like, oh, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. And I'll hear Annabelle say, oh, my daddy's the best cook. Oh, my daddy's the best cook. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He, he can cook all this, and he can give us more. And, to, and I just love, I'm just kind of hanging back. And then what then they'll do is they'll go outside, and they want me to make a fire for them, and they'll roast the marshmallows and things like that. And my favorite time of the night that inevitably comes is when they're out there with the fire, Annie and her little friends, and they got their marshmallows, and the fire starts to go out. What I'll do is I'll just kind of be hanging back. I got the door a little bit open. And sooner or later, I, I hear her call, Daddy, Daddy, help. The fire's going out. And I jump to my feet. Don't worry, girls. Slide the door open. I've got my cape on, big SD for super dad. Don't worry, girls. Dad is here to save the day. 
I'll get the fire going again. Get the fire going. They're all happy again. Just kind of go on back. Now, Annabelle has never asked me, nor my other two kids. They've never asked me, Daddy, why do you, why do you go to all that trouble? Why do you cook for hours and do the fire? Why, why do you do all that? They've never asked me that question. But if they did, if I think about it, my answer would be, I do it for you. I love you. I, I want to see you enjoy our home. I want to I want to see you happy. I want to um, be there for you. I want, um, I want to experience the moment as you're enjoying the atmosphere that I've created for you. The Bible says that God has created all things for us. And that's the, that's the attitude that God has. Well, why does God love me so much? He, he just wants to enjoy you. He just loves you for you. And for humans, that's so hard for us to understand that. Because no parent's perfect and no friendship is perfect. And there's always agendas and things like that. Let me tell you something. With God, there's no agenda. God created you just for you to enjoy him and enjoy your life. See, a lot of people think like, well, what's God? Why did he create everybody? Like, does God need friends? Let me tell you something. God is doing just fine all by himself. He is the all-sufficient one. God, God didn't look down like, you know, I'm really lonely up here. I need a couple of friends. Like, it, it, God, God is the all. He's the great I am. Everything that he's done, he's done for you. That's how much he loves you. You might say, well, if God loves me so much, so of all, then why did I experience this in the past? Why did I suffer this kind of abuse? Why did I go through so much pain? Why am I going through so much pain? What about the divorce? What about this? You know, why did I get this medical report? Like, whatever your past circumstance or your current circumstance is, I want to encourage you today, today listen, never judge God's love for you based on your past or current circumstance. Always base God's love for you on what Jesus did on that cross over 2,000 years ago. That's where God, Jesus demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. And God didn't just sit up there and be like, oh yeah, see they're going through some pain. No, Jesus came down, God came down, wrapped himself in human flesh. And he engaged the pain. He embraced the pain. He entered into that pain with us. And if you will continue to trust in God, I'm telling you, God will bring you through and he will bring you out. He will bring you to a new place. Listen, God will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus understands your pain. And that brings to the next part of the verse. You know, for, for God so loved you that he gave. There was the standard of his love. He gave. His only son. This reveals God's plan. This reveals God's plan to us. And here's the good news. God's plan is not a program. See, because God has no agenda. So his plan is not a program. His plan is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. John 3.16, exactly 25 words. Guess what the very middle word is? Right in the center. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. There's 12 words before son. There's 12 words after son. 
but the Son, Jesus, is right in the center. And when you make Jesus the center of your life, you will experience God's so love for you. What if 12 represent in the Bible? 12 is the number of government. There's 12 words before son, 12 words after son. God's saying, look, if Jesus is the center of your life, you will be able to govern properly. Doesn't the Bible say that we're to rule and reign with Christ? That's what my book, God First Life, is all about. The premise of that is that happiness is not about more or better. Everyone thinks the way that for me to be happy is I need more of this. I need more money. I need more of these type of friends or I need something better I need a better job I need a better marriage we always think in terms of more or better listen happiness is not about more or better happiness is about order where order is restored blessing is released when Jesus is at the center all of the blessings of God will come to you and you'll be able to govern them in the right way that's why Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and what all these things will be added unto you When the sun is at the center, when the person of Jesus is in the center of your life, all of God's blessings are available to you, and you'll experience that kind of love that I'm talking about. And that brings us to the last part of the verse. For God so loved, that reveals the Father's heart, that he gave his only begotten son, that reveals God's plan. And the last part of the verse, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad for the whoever's? In the Bible, aren't you glad that God is a whoever God? Come on, give me my hand for that. It's, it's just amazing. Aren't you glad that God is he's, he's merciful? Aren't you glad that the Bible says, if the Lord counted iniquities, who could stand? I just want to encourage you. Man, God loves you no matter what, man. If you've been walking in condemnation, man, you need to break that stuff off. You need to know that God's love for you is so deep, so high, so wide, nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. And there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's a whoever God. But it says, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to believe so you can belong. And the thing is, in our modern culture, that word believe, it means something different than it did when Jesus said it. When we say believe today, it's kind of like a wish, right? Kind of like a wish or, or a natural, not a biblical hope, but a natural hope. Like we wish or, or we believe the thunder going to win Monday night, right? We believe that. But it's not a sure thing. But when it comes to Jesus, listen, Jesus is the sure thing. And when Jesus said, he who believes in me, he's not talking about a head belief kind of a wish. He's talking about more like we use the word trust. Trust is from the heart. Trust is surrender. You know, it's kind of like if one of you just got your pilot's license and you came and you said, Hey, Stovall, I'm, I'm, this is going to be my first time flying a jet today. And you know, there's a lot of thunderstorms in the area. And there's a lot of lightning and maybe even some tornadoes. Do you think I can fly, take this plane off and fly around in those storms and land it successfully? Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe it. Okay, why don't you ride? Why don't you come with me? You know, I think I'll just sit this first flight out. I'll let you go test it out. I believe, but uh, I don't really trust yet. See, when I get in the plane, that's when I trust. 
And I find too many followers of Christ, the reason they don't experience God's love like I'm talking about is they're kind of still in that head belief, kind of add God to your life. You like coming to church. You like the, the, the principles, the Bible's way of living, friends. You've kind of added God to your life. You've never really, man, just let it go and surrender to Jesus. Man, God, He wants His love to come into you like never before. So my prayer is that belief would be a true trust. So you can experience His love like I'm talking about.